Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend. A podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, the women's strike, aka a day without a woman, and International Women's Day. Plus, research says men are more aggro in the Trump era. Retired President Obama is wearing less and going out more, including in, in the desert, which we love. Women are having too much fun to retire. Plus, we take a listener question. Hey. Hey. Mood check. <laughs> Mood check. Your girl is so tired. I hear you. Just ruined my manicure replacing the batteries in this recording device. <laughs> like, the real struggle. The, the real, real struggle. The real, real, real struggle. Yeah, this is the real problem. What's going on? Great question. I don't know. I'm like, I'm between between travel stints. So, you know, I'm just like reveling in my two days at home in between that's what's happening with me same here didn't we talk about earlier how we were going to try to like travel less or whatever this quarter and lies somehow somehow that is that was not god's plan for my life lies i'm going to speak at my alma mater the university of missouri this week go what's your mascot um the tiger but Go you know, tigers. but like major <laughs> major college athletics, like I don't I don't want to get in trouble with people who are like very into university athletics. But I took a class. It was actually a sociology class, but the professor was like the the leading campus crusader against like the dominance of college athletics and was basically basically used the class which was the sociology of aging to indoctrinate all of us about why college athletics are a financial drain and like not actually good for people who come to like solely get an education <laughs> and and it's like and it's it really like I looking back I'm like he really informed informed how I felt I mean I'm not generally predisposed to be like a huge football fan anyway but I know but your school has a really good tennis program Really? Who knew? Mm-hmm. You should check that out <laughs> before you turn everything into big football. But Some good small sports over there. Good people <laughs> doing good athletics. <laughs> All right. This is my problem for not getting into the, the lesser known sports. I am also really pro. Well, two things. One, if you go to us, if you went to like a state school, it's true that it's like very shameful when you look up like who are the highest paid like state officials in your state or whatever and it's like the football coach is always like top three it's like that's crazy um yeah. you know but at the same time like i am super pro like 
student athletes. I think the student athletes are like some of the hardest working motherfuckers on campuses and don't get rewarded for how hard they work. But it's true. Like football sucks the life out of everything. Uh, so yeah, so that I'm also like, I'm, I'm thinking about going, there's a weird thing too, about going back to a place where you went to school and like speaking there. And I'm like, I don't know what, I have no wisdom to impart. I'm like, at this point, I graduated more than 10 years ago. So anything that I once had to say about like how I got where I am or whatever is not relevant to people who are like graduating immediately. I don't know, like the gap has gotten big enough. I remember being a student and sitting there and being like, this person graduated into a world without the internet. That's totally different. It sounds like a wonderful fantasy land where they only had to write like three articles a month and like they had like no, no Twitter or I guess I didn't have Twitter either. Then. This is what I'm saying. You know, it was a totally like at this You're point. You're gonna do just fine. You're I know, but the bar is high. I need to be. I don't know. Like, rel- I I feel like. like what are you getting? Are they giving you like one of those fake doctorates, or is this just a speech? Oh What's please! On? The only degree I have is the one I paid for. <laughs> don't worry, honorary degrees you have to pay for too. Wait, don't you do? Worry. I didn't know well, that. You gotta give like a significant donation and stuff to the school. It's crazy. Oh, holy shit! I had no idea. Anyway, I am not... Nothing is free, man. I'm not donating anything except for my time. And also, like, my travel during a week of when when I'm supposed to be not participating in the economy if I care about women. <laughs> oh, yeah. The women's strike. Are you participating in the strike? What's going on? Well, for purposes of time stamping, we're recording this before the strike, but I'm traveling that day. And so I think I'm going to make like what I would say is sort of a, a low key effort where I'm going to like ask a male friend to drive me to the airport rather than take a lift or a cab. And I might pack my own plane snacks. Um, and I, but, but that's kind of like it. And then once I, once I get to Columbia, Missouri, I'm, I'm going to have dinner at a woman owned business. Shout out main squeeze. But, but, oh um, God, I love that place. That I know. It's so good. Anyway, but so that, th- that's kind of it, though. And I probably, frankly, wouldn't be on the internet anyway, because, you know, I'm not going to be sitting in front of a computer. So like, weirdly, it's kind of a moot point for me. But I don't know, is your are you are you participating? I guess yes and no. It's really interesting, right? Because you're just like, man, general strikes, not what they used to be. We don't all work at a factory anymore. So I'm definitely not going to spend any money like I had decided on doing that. And that's, uh, you know, like weirdly doesn't seem like that hard of a thing to do for one day. Right. Definitely going to wear red, you know, but I think that like when you're kind of in our weirdo, like self-employed, whatever mode, it's really hard to feel like your like whatever stance that you take matters, you know? Right. No one's going to miss seeing me in my house <laughs> at exactly. work. Yeah. I'm like, I'm already not on the internet this week for like various reasons. So my impact will not be felt. But at the same time, it's like, it's really interesting to watch like different kind of constituencies, like freak out. Like all these people are like, well, the Alexandria Virginia school system is going to be shut down because all these teachers are striking. And you're just like, yeah, public school teachers, like so many ladies, it's really interesting to see how the way that work has changed really affects the way that like what worker solidarity can really look like. I'm interested to see like what the coverage of Wednesday will be and what the impact will be. 
Yeah, I mean, there has been a, a, like, I guess by the time people are listening to this, like, we'll have some answers to that. But I found even the conversation in advance pretty interesting, especially as it relates to class, because much like the actual Women's March itself, I was like, oh, God, this is so ridiculous. The only people who can take, afford to really strike are people who already have, like, a fair amount of economic privilege or, like, jobs like yours and mine, right? But, you know, when you drill down, when you read, like, the the FAQs and when I've read some statements from supporters of the strike, like Ai-jen Poo, who is the director of the National Domestic Workers Alliance, and read, like, why she is supportive of a general strike, even understanding that many of the constituents that, that her organization represents can't strike, I reconsidered it a little bit, but like, it's hard for me to grasp how a very general, like, you know, women across professions and, and striking in all of these different ways will be felt like the cumulative impact of that feels difficult. It's not the same thing as like a bunch of people who physically work in the same place, not showing up and demanding one specific concrete thing in return. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's also interesting, like hearing from women in uh, European countries, like recently that strike in Iceland, right, where <laughs> just hearing like how supportive they are of the strike and they're just like well you know what you actually don't know what the strike is going to look like until you start it (laughs) and until you do it and see what the momentum goes from there and that was a little exciting to me where it was like yeah you're right we can intellectualize this and complain about it and like make excuses or whatever but until we actually participate we don't know what the impact looks like yeah and and, who knows who knows So I guess it's like one of the many like weird privileges of being in our specific role that like, like it's, we don't have to take a hard stance, like, you know, in in a way, like not spending money and wearing red, which we are both doing is sort of like the soft strike, if you will. (laughs) And like the hard strike of like, I'm not showing up and I'm going to send my bosses this letter that says I'm not showing up because I want, you know, gender equality um, is not a decision that like, we we have to make so i don't know like i'm also curious to start hearing the stories of like what happens what happens if women do send that letter to their bosses and how do they react yeah it's just this whole thing is like fascinating to me and also just like thinking back about how the last time that we tried to do something on this scale was in the 70s you know like the women's strikes for peace and equality and all of that stuff and so reading reading back through what all of that look like and how the 70s were so chaotic (laughs) i think Mm -hmm. we're all agreed that was like worst decade ever it's interesting to me that like since the 70s nobody has tried something on the scale and in some ways like we're better organized but we're less organized you know right so who knows i'm like i'm just here for the historical ride right And I think there's also, because you bring up like the international context too, is there's a bunch of stuff happening around the world that is related to International Women's Day, which is what the strike was timed to coincide with, but it is more specific. Women in in Ireland are striking to repeal abortion restrictions in their country. And like, that's a pretty specific ask. Apparently in China, International Women's Day is like a day where women get gifts or something. I did not know this. Did you have you heard any of this before? No, but China has all those weird holidays, like the single lady days, the like whatever. I feel like every holiday is like, give me a gift over there. No clue what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And also apparently in Argentina there's like a flower giving, gift giving tradition on this day. Yeah. Um 
But yeah, but I'm really curious about how in the many other nations that are also planning strikes, how it goes down there. Because like one of the things about having a nation that's a little less populous, places like Austria and Denmark and Sweden, women are planning to strike there too. You can maybe feel the impact a little bit more when it's overall a smaller population. Yeah, you know, the thing too about um, this strike, I think that is a little more difficult for me to grasp. And it's also like entirely kind of in my own court is that I'm not entirely sure like what the demands of the strike are. I think that when you look at the like the 1970 strike, the the Betty Friedan one is that they were like, we want to show everybody what the impact of not having women like participate in the workforce can be. So it's like why you have like all those amazing um, slogans like don't iron <laughs> while the strike is hot or don't get dinner, starve a rat today. Like, all, you know, like was it was so clearly focused towards like women's participation at work. And so, and they had these like really clear demands. Like they wanted free abortion on demand. They wanted equal opportunity in employment, education, and these like 24 seven childcare centers, which wow, like still don't have those, you know, like, and honestly they kind of did pretty well for themselves. Like title nine passed a ton of the anti-harassment at work stuff was born out of that movement also. And so, I don't know like what it felt like in the moment, but I think that in terms of like, wow, you ladies accomplished quite a ton of shit, like <laughs> with, you know, like how militant you were. Yeah. It's like when I think about like kind of what's happening, what's supposed to happen on Wednesday, I'm like very clear about the solidarity component. I'm not quite clear about what the platform is. That's definitely like my own, like should look more into that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, I would say that, like I was saying, I was a little bit more skeptical until I read through all of the FAQs, which do outline a platform. But for example, the first question is, what is the goal of a day without a woman, which is what the general strike is called. And it is a one, two, three, four, five, six paragraph answer, basically outlining a general intersectional feminist platform for the nation. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like a pretty big, I mean, like you're right about like solidarity and like I do think that labor and work has been a large focus of at least a lot of the conversation I've seen around it but like the direct ask is not something like equal pay for equal work or making sure that women of color make as much as white men in America or something that you know like hiring discrimination it's all in there but it's not like today is a day where we strike because of this tiny specific narrow thing yeah um, we're just like we're just striking because everything's fucked up <laughs> like, take your pick Right. And it's like, that is, it is both true. And like, you know, when you have a really broad based movement, it's like hard to pick just one issue that you're striking for. But like, on the other hand, I'm like, it's, it's, this is not like a Norma Ray kind of like specific workplace factory bargaining situation, you know? But I think that that's also kind of what, um, even though I know that I, I sound like somebody who's really ambivalent about like what this movement and moment is like, the reason that I appreciate it so much is that it is really bold. You know, I think that like every step of the way people have looked at, you know, it's like people looked at the march after the election and they were like, I don't know, what is this going to accomplish? And uh, turned out to be like a huge global movement. And it's like, who knows what's going to happen Wednesday also. But I appreciate the boldness of it. I appreciate the vision of it. And at the end of the day, it's, it's moving the needle forward. Yeah, no, totally. And I also think that it's it's opened interesting conversations, especially about unpaid labor, which is not just things like childcare and housework, but I think about 
everything you've ever done on social media is unpaid labor. Or like every time you put up with an annoying thing that like a male stranger says to you in public, it's unpaid labor. Thinking about like striking from all of that stuff too is really, really interesting to me. I'm like, whoa, it's a day to like read books and hang out with each other and like go on walks, <laughs> which the organizers are not asking people to, but I think it's a pretty interesting thought exercise. Right. It's like capitalism is so sneaky. It is so sneaky. I know it's everywhere. A day without women on Instagram. What does it even look like? <laughs> you oh know, my God, shut it down. <laughs> <laughs> I know a day without women on Twitter. Wow. Cesspool. We'll see. I'm excited about checking back into next week into like what, like basically what happened. Yeah. And I, I know we would be curious in hearing your strike experiences or how you did it. If you want to send us a tweet or an email, like, like we can maybe talk about the ways um, or maybe there's a good voicemail opportunity. The ways that some of the CYG listeners spent their Wednesday, spent their strike day. That's right. Send us a voicemail. We perfect. Short and sweet. <laughs> yes, please. Please, by all means. Last thing about International Women's Day. Did you see Sophie Trudeau's post about International Women's Day? No. <laughs> Wife of Justin the Scammer. Wife of Justin me. the Scammer. You're going to love this International Women's Day scam. The photo is the two of them in puffy jackets holding hands. And the caption is, are you ready to ignite change? This week, as we mark International Women's Day, let's celebrate the boys and men in our lives who encourage us to be who we truly oh are. Oh my God, plot twist. <laughs> plot twist. And then, of course, it's like, I'm like, oh, like, this is the real, like, Trudeau scam here. It's like, we're really just celebrating him again. <laughs> all the time. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Um, I can't wait for the day we have Justin on the podcast, though, and we can discuss all of this. Yeah, Sophie, if you want to come defend your Instagram post, we're here. Oh, my God. That is insane. A day without a woman celebrating men on the internet. I can't wait. <laughs> Let's always make it about the boys in our lives. <laughs> that is so wild. These Canadian liberals, man, I'm telling you, constant vigilance. Constant. <laughs> I know. Just in case you're tempted to think it's better. Um, I, I love I love how much you love me though because I know that there's a lot going on. So the fact that like you keeping tabs on the Trudeaus for me is like that's true love. Listen, I saw that link and I saved it immediately. Immediately, <laughs> <laughs> I thought about texting it to you, but I was like, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till we're doing it live. <laughs> Thank you. I literally like know nothing that's going on in the news. It's uh like we were in Palm Springs this weekend and I did not engage really fully with the news, except. I heard a rumor that Barack Obama was wiretapping people, which I fully believe. I'm just like, mm, our new president might be onto something. And then mostly like nothing else. So I feel very uninformed right now. Well, what can I, what can I tell you? I mean, obviously lots of Cheeto doings, like not just accusations of wiretapping, but you know, like new executive order, uh, travel ban update, that sort of thing. I don't know that we really need to get into it. I'm just saying, we I'm don't sure need you to saw get some into headlines. any of it. It's just like it's just like the fact that you know that it's quiet means that like the incompetence is there. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, it's always I like there. Hmm. I was like, what do you mean you took the photo yourself at the executive order signing because nobody else was here? I see this. See, you have been reading the news. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I see tweets. I see tweets. (laughs) 
Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me, Aminatu. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. I feel like I was going to ask you something really important and now I can't remember. But you'll be happy to know that I've spilled ice cream all over my computer. <laughs> I am happy to know that. I'm drinking oh, a LaCroix, not to be confused with LaCroix. <laughs> <laughs> you say this just to hurt me. No, <laughs> it's from the Midwest. It's called LaCroix, okay? like okay, First of all, it's from the Midwest. It's called LaCroix <laughs> is the most insane thing anybody's ever said about that inferior water. Listen... <laughs> I, I, how dare you talk about like the juice of my people that way? Juice of your people. You know, after Justin Trudeau, Lacroix water is the other big scam. I like keep tabs on. I mean, honestly, how is it a scam? It's a scam for many reasons. <laughs> One, it's basically a soda replacement. It's like what do you mean? Basically, who- it's one hundred percent a soda replacement. Okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's a controversial stance to have. Really? Um, zero. Well, you know, it's like people don't like being told that they're like drinking soda. And to be fair to the Lacroix, it's not sugary, but like that's the instinct that it taps onto, right? American people love drinking soda, and then so when they like translate that to the water market, they're like, we're gonna give you every single flavor option that's possible. Also. The bubble situation is disgusting. It's like too many bubbles. And also, did you know that in the 90s, there was a really shady recall of Perrier water? And that's how LaCroix like, came, like basically like clawed its way back to the top. I mean, let me tell you, I'm from a place where LaCroix was always on top, i.e. where like moms of the Midwest drank it as like a diet drink when Diet Coke was like not diet enough. Shout out Tab. (laughs) Exactly. Shout out to Tab. It was basically a seamless transition from Tab to LaCroix. And I I have read some articles on the full story of how it became like coastal cool. But I get so angry whenever someone is like, it's from where? I'm like, it's not from Brooklyn. It's not from Brooklyn. <laughs> oh my God. You can't have of course it. It's not from Brooklyn. <laughs> Listen, I'm mostly fine with it. The coconut flavor is disgusting. You know what? I thought I think so we at can first. all agree on that. I thought so at first, but I, you know, I was stuck in a house once where there was only coconut and I sort of, I sort of learned to not hate it. And you were like, this is just like drinking suntan oil. Sure. I mean, 
Anyway, okay, I'll let it go. I'll let it go. It's not. This is not the hill I want to die on. I know. And there's no way. I mean, listen. Like, I'm 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 holding a hard anti Lacroix conspiracy line on this podcast. It's like we'll remain divided on this issue. That's fine. That's fine. But as an editorial POV, we are not anti Lacroix. I need to say that. Oh my god, I am keeping all of my options open. Maybe we can talk about this study about how men are getting more aggro now that Trump is empowering them to like act what? on their basest impulses. Men are getting aggressive because we have an enabler in chief. I know it's shocking, right? Tell me everything. <laughs> right. So this is a study about gender differences and communication styles. Um, <laughs> AKA our favorites. AKA our definitely our favorite. The paper that resulted from the research is called Trumping Norms, LOL Academics. Oh um, my God. I love <laughs> when the academics get funnier. Thank you. But basically, people negotiating are more adversarial if they're like negotiating over something, like duh, rather than just like talking about something neutral. But here's the quote In particular, men were more aggressive when they negotiated with counterparts that they knew were female using hardball tactics more often, which is a change from like the past when they when they conducted this experiment pre Trump era. That's crazy. So like example, give me an example. Let me see if there's one in this article. I don't want to just make one up. Um, <laughs> I know, right? Welcome like, to call your girlfriend. Where I've just made up an anecdote. Sexism. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so dig a little deeper and you're like, maybe the previous situation was not better because essentially before the election, when men were negotiating with women, they were more likely to, quote, display what could be classified as, quote, chivalry toward female partners. Like basically we're like nice when negotiating with women, but like are like not nice when negotiating with women anymore. Like that's sort of the, the gist of it. I don't really know what it means. It's one of those studies. So this I, is just basically like the spectrum of like when somebody's street harassing you and they go from calling you like, Hey princess to fuck you in like 10 seconds. That is exactly what's happening with, okay. with like just to be clear, right. With gendered discourse. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking of which, did you see the Saturday night live skit about this? This recently, no, I did not tell well, me. Let me just summarize for you, which is woman walks into a bar alone waiting for her friend. Woman gets hit on by a successive series of men who are like wearing futurist female shirts or talking about how they really loved the women's march. And as soon as she says that she does not want to fuck them, they freak out on her. Um, <laughs> and it felt it felt very relevant if a bit over the top. And as you point out, perhaps it's part of a larger trend also confirmed by academia, not just Saturday Night Live. (laughs) Yeah, it's always crazy how somebody will go from like, hey, to like, I hope you die in a fire. Right. (laughs) Don't want to fuck you. That's to me has always been like such a mind fuck. I'm like, I don't understand how this happens so fast. Yeah, the switch flips from like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think it's just like, it's one of those things where, uh, Many men, definitely not all men, are only socialized to treat women like humans. <laughs> not all men. Not, hashtag not all men. Many men are only socialized to treat women as humans until they can get what they want from them. 
And as soon as they realize they're not going to get what they want, it's like, well, I don't have to pretend that I think you're human anymore. So I know. But the thing is that like, even that, like as disgusting as that is, it's like the short amount of time in which it happens is like fascinating. Oh my God. Yeah. Like the switch you mean? Yeah. Like it's, it's like as soon as they like find that as soon as like the vaginal garage door like goes down, <laughs> like <laughs> they can see it closing. Like the yeah. muffin shop is closed. Closed. No muffins here. Um, that is wild. Anyway, but I will say, the last thing I will say about this study is that, of course, it's an economist who did this study, and she was basically like, we called the paper trumping norms, but that was just to suggest it's a shift in norms. It's not a political statement. I'm just talking about the economy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my God. I see you see you clickbait mm-hmm. titling your academic paper. <laughs> mm-hmm. At least own it, economist lady. Just own it. I know. I know. Anyway, so... Uh, nobody is brave anymore that's what happens in Trump's president nobody is brave nobody will say what they think I mean she doesn't want to get the hate mail can you blame her Uh. all these like photos of barack obama just glowing no but i know he was near us like in the desert recently really when was it weren't they in rancho mirage aka like, home of some really good thrifting like months ago no 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 i thought okay well maybe i'm mixing up my you know who was near us this weekend though who was the kardashians really tell me more mm-hmm. all i saw was what i saw on instagram i didn't like ask him about it personally <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, like, in vacation house style? Like, that sort of thing? I think so. There was also, like, another wedding for some, like, celebrity who... So, but back to these Obama photos. Like, first of all, there's this picture of him, like... I guess he, like, came to visit Malia in New York a couple of weeks ago. He just looks like the epitome of that, like, Drake song. It's just, like, wearing less and going out more. You're like, what is happening here? This is, like, so suntan, happy. And honestly, that was, like, one of the first times. Every time I see a picture of him and he's smiling and happy, I just think, like, okay, nuclear holocaust is, like, you know, like, we can punt out that down the line, like, three more weeks. It's not going to happen imminently. If Barack's you, happy, you like, think if he's, if he's relaxing, you're like, you really feel comfortable? Yeah, you think he's just I feel like, comfortable. I've done my best? Yeah, totally. I'm like, if Barack is smiling, like, we gonna be all right. But then there is this, like, then I guess, like, he was back in D.C. with Michelle, and they went to a museum, and it's just, like, him wearing these, like, ridiculous, like, bootcut denim, and like, he's just, like, looking like a terrible dad mode, but he's so happy, like, carrying around these shopping bags. And I'm just like, how can you be so relaxed right now? The entire Western world is going to shit. Because for once, it's not his responsibility to fix it. That's why he can be so relaxed. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. He just he just looks so, so chilled, so chilled out. I can't even handle it. I mean, think about it. Like, think about every time you have left a very stressful job. Like, the, the feeling of not my problem is one of the most powerful emotions that there is. Like, such a powerful, positive emotion. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's crazy. Also, I was reading like super conservative news, so I don't know if this is true because I didn't fact check it, you know, like in the middle or to the left, about how uh, Valerie Jared is moving into the into the Obama's house with them. What? Yeah, like she's moving in with them. I'm telling you, do a Google. It's all like conservative news outlets. And then I realized that like these same outlets said that like during the presidency, Valerie Jared lived in the White House, which like clearly if all of this news is one-sided, we shouldn't believe it. Fake news. But at the same time, I'm like, this is news I want to believe is true. (laughs) Oh my God. Amazing Fox (laughs) News headline. Valerie Jarrett moves in with Obama to set up anti-Trump nerve center in quotes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, their new house is big. That's New house is big. Daughter off to college. They'll be just fine. Wow. But, like, how hilarious. I, like, didn't know this, like, conspiracy theory that Valerie Jared lived with the Obamas. Like, that makes me really happy. I hope it's true. Listen, I'm all for, like, non-traditional co-housing arrangements. Like, whether it's the Obamas for nerve center purposes or not. (laughs) Yeah, especially if it's, like, a housing arrangement that's going to make sure that the whole world doesn't go to shit. I'm like, where do I send you a gift basket? Oh, my God. Do you think Valerie Jarrett is going on strike on Wednesday? (laughs) Valerie Jarrett is definitely going on strike on Wednesday. (laughs) I'm just like, I think we've explained it, though. Like, Obama is more like we can put the pieces together. Obama is more relaxed and just hanging out in his dad jeans. Meanwhile, Valerie Jarrett is like moving in and setting up the nerve center. He's basically just delegated worrying (laughs) about this particular moment. He's going to be fine. I guess like this is the problem when you're like a super young president, right? It's like you thought he was going to be retired at 50. And then instead, it's like, no, fuck. You have like eight more years of defending your legacy, at least. I know. Minimum. Yeah. Meanwhile, also, like, you know, George Bush just has this, like, new book out. So he's on book tour right now. And so he's on all of the morning shows. Weirdly, also looking, like, very relaxed and alert. Uh, which is, like, shocking. Because <laughs> well, once you take the like, plastic off his head, he's, like, very alert. <laughs> totally you know also it's like morning shows so i'm just like you know like with old people it's like after 4 p.m you're just like are you going down or is it the sun that's going down what's happening here he's like super happy and it's weird but it's like really weird to see people just like embrace this person that was like a really terrible president who did terrible things right like forget that he started two wars yeah you know it's like yeah people are just like oh look at this foundation is like raising money for veterans and i'm just like yeah those veterans are not lost limbs if he hadn't sent them into fake wars hello right you know on one hand it's like complicated because i'm just like i politically does not agree with george bush on anything that's like putting it mildly but like i didn't think that he was this nefarious villain that we have now but at the same time like that doesn't excuse that what he did was like really fucking wrong so it's really weird to see people like rewrite history and embrace him completely and forget like kind of the mess that we were in while he was president like that has been like a huge mindfuck it's like people just have like really short memories or is it that like the new president is so dire that like George Bush is a nice guy now? It's totally both. It's like two ex boyfriends ago syndrome, right? Or like two <laughs> two like once you go back, like, two ex boyfriends ago, they were still villains for me. Okay, well, okay, so maybe three. Your mileage may vary, but like definitely, like when you when you go back enough, it's kind of like some combination of time heals all wounds and the current crisis being so much worse. Like I think like both of those things are happening. Yeah, people are just, like, really inconsistent with this stuff. I'm, you know, I'm not, like, demonize him and, like, throw pies at him everywhere he goes or whatever. But at the same time, like, don't turn him into a fucking folksy hero. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, it's true. I'm not, I'm not here for that. 
It's kind of nuts. But like, but he's also like weirdly like very self-deprecating, which I think like that helps. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we know Obama is really relaxed right now, but like seriously, George Bush can be like, I'm not the worst president of the past two decades. Like you can basically have that. That's like actually insane to me. I know. Like that is a plot twist for the ages. No wonder, no wonder he is so happy. Yeah. We're going to be okay. I just wish like Obama would tell us more like what was going on. It's just like, just tell us, send us subliminal messages. Oh, hey, P.S. I Googled and I figured out the Rancho Mirage thing, which is that they are rumored to have bought a house there. That's what it is. Oh, yeah, definitely. But I thought you meant that they were there like this weekend. No, no, no. As in like they put a stake down there. (laughs) Yeah, because that guy that was the social secretary owns a house there. So smart. Uh, Rancho Mirage is one of my favorite like uh, rich like neighborhood names. It's perfect. I mean, like, this is all an illusion. <laughs> like, it's literally a Rancho Mirage. I know. It's true. Um, really good thrifting, though. Um, like most rich neighborhoods, excellent thrifting. Not true. I would say that's not a universal truth. Like, it's, What? You could, yeah. Like, sometimes a rich neighborhood will only have, like, a teeny tiny American Cancer Society upscale resale shop. And, like, that's a problem. Um, seriously like it really depends on the size of the town and like the demo of the rich people I will go to the mat on like this thrift store science <laughs> um, Listen, that, I'm down anything that like makes you like break down rich people thrift to me I'm like down for yeah it's a special combo of it being an area with not a lot of income stratification so like Rancho Mirage like is sort of like a rich enclave on its own where the rich people are really old like all the really good thrifting is where like rich old people isolate themselves. So like the gold coast of Florida, as I like to call it the gold coast of thrifting or like Arizona retirement communities or like Palm Springs, like great clusters of rich people just getting rid of like decades of incredible vintage that they've held on to just like tons of silky blouses and it being like also a hobby for the rich people right like so like rich old ladies working at the charity shop to like fill the time in their day is like a thing they do and so that's the other reason why it's so good because in like a bigger city like you'll have like a rich neighborhood in the middle of a big city say but you won't find those rich people like working at like the resale shop when they're retired like it just doesn't happen it's like a very special combo of things (laughs) your your gifts are really wasted in journalism my god listen honestly like the vacation that i would love to do to treat myself sometime is just like a tour of retirement communities in arizona or something like just for the thrifting like i'll rent a large vehicle and do that (laughs) it's like Anne in a van oh my god around Anne in a van which fashion publication can i get to underwrite my silky blouse tour of the southwest i'm so ready (laughs) oh my god you can um say that you're going to visit trump voters and then it's like (laughs) oh my god yes retired you're like i'm really trying to understand these retired trump voters you know i did i did for a long time a friend of mine was in florida putting an older relative into a retirement home and like working on getting that set up and had like so much incredible gossip for me from that area. And I really thought for a long time, I was like, I got to find some way to just go hang out there. Like golden girls fantasy. It's like my favorite genre of journalism is when they're like people in retirement homes have too many STDs. And it's always like the same three retirement homes that they're writing about. (laughs) But we still read about it all the time. Right. Like sold. 
Right. Well, and I'm sure there's like more, I mean, like talk about places that are not seriously covered, right? Like, I mean, has anyone ever like looked into whether sexual assault is also prevalent there? Like when I think about groups of people who don't have access to information about contraception, I'm like, do you also have info about consent? Like what else is happening there? You know? Oh man, geriatrics journalism. I'm all in. As long as it like results in me getting furs and silky blouses, I support this. I support this career move for you. Okay. Well, I th- how do we? How do I facilitate this? I mean, I I think that like we both we both could really like scam our way into separate assignments and like I'll be like meet me in Fort Myers or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> and and then like I don't know. I have a great vision of like you and I in a condo. Like the other thing about retirement areas like this, the road is always super wide, like confusingly wide. Where I know, I, and everybody yeah. has a golf cart. I am so down for a golf cart. You can drive the golf cart. <laughs> yes. Yes, queen. We can play some gin rummy, my favorite. <laughs> uh, done and done and done. Okay. I'm the worst gin rummy player, you know. Oh, my know. God. <laughs> also have no pride, so it's cool. If we play a few hands, I bet you'll get better. This is exactly what Phoebe tried. Not true. Oh, I, like, my God. Don't get, I, like, play, but I'm like, I don't understand. I know. This. Phoebe is, like, a gin rummy shark, though. Like... <laughs> <laughs> she is like been 65 her whole life i know oh my god speaking of did you see this article from last month about women who are quote having way too much fun to retire who like could I, afford yeah you to- were telling me about it tell the rest of the cyg audience it's so good oh my god well there's just some new analysis that women in their 60s like post-retirement age more of them are working since the late 80s or something like that. Like the numbers have been going up. And when they interview them about why that is, there's obviously some who are like, I need the money. Like I don't have a nest egg, which is the narrative I come, I like, I really associate with women in retirement, right? There's all this data that says because of being paid less over a lifetime and not building wealth in the same way that men do, women like don't have as much retirement savings. Yeah, to retire on. Um, But apparently these women in this one article are like, we enjoy our jobs and we don't want to leave them, which I think is shocking. Like this woman says the money is nice, of course, but I did it as in like got another job because I found I could not just stay at home. I really like the fast pace. That's so crazy. I could retire yesterday. Listen, we just laid out our retirement fantasy. We have golf cart <laughs> fantasies. And like, yeah, these, these women are out here like getting real estate licenses and like saying they're excited to work at Starbucks. I'm like, what? It's also probably like just the social component. I think like, when I think about like a lot of those, the women that are profiled there, if they're not married or they don't have like, I don't know, like traditional families, it's true that like being at home is really lonely. And like you get all of your social kicks at work. And it's like, if you don't need the money and you go to work, my God, that's like the best scenario for like having fun with people. Ultimate, don't give a fuck. (laughs) That's right. You're like, I'm not even here for the money. Right. I don't know. I mean, I do get it. Incredible. I get being like someone, someone who's like oriented your ideas of like, how is your life meaningful? Like at least in part around work for a long time. Like that's something I relate to. Yeah, I don't relate to that. I'm like, if I could retire yesterday and like didn't need the money, I would 100% do it. Sit by the pool and read magazines. Sold. A retirement without a woman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, there's like no nobility in like working too hard. I don't know about this. Yeah. Do you want to take a listener question? Uh, Let's take a listener question. (laughs) (laughs) 
Hi, Amina and Anne. On the podcast, you've talked about calling your representatives in times of turmoil to express your opinion. How would you deal with living in a conservative state and feeling like your representatives are so far up the Cheetos rear end, cough Ted Cruz, that they won't take your voice into consideration? Sincerely, Stuck in Texas. Man. Hello, SIT. Sit. (laughs) I mean, so here's the deal, right? All of our representatives are obsessed with getting reelected. That's literally what fuels them all of the time. And I know that it seems that like when you live in like deep blue states like we do, that our representatives are listening to us and all the time. And the truth is that like that's actually not true. And the kind of the events of the last couple of weeks have shown how important it is even for us to just remind them what we care about by constantly calling and by organizing and getting them to change their minds. Because otherwise all these people do is go to work and like buddy, buddy with like terrible people. I was reading that guide online, the indivisible guide that was put out by uh, a couple of people who used to work in Congress. And they basically lay out what the, you know, it's like people are calling it like the reverse tea party techniques essentially for for organizing and making sure that your elected officials listen to you and the truth is that like there are ways to make these people listen to you and i know that it can feel really overwhelming and it can feel like they don't share your values or whatever but the truth is that like if you find enough people that will organize with you and that will show up with you and will be relentless with you you then become a problem for them And they 100% listen to you, whether they um, show it to you or not. That's why we're seeing all of this incredible footage of these, like, cowardly representatives who are, like, running away from people at their um, ACA town halls and all sorts of things. Like, they care. And it doesn't mean that you need, like, 100 people behind you. It's like, you know, just, like, five people showing up just creating problems for them is enough for them to think about re-election. Yeah, and and I think that for me anyway, as as satisfying it is as it is when my senators and representatives vote the way I would like them to vote, it's equally frustrating to sort of say I call Paul Ryan or whatever, and because I'm not a constituent, he can basically say like, who cares? I don't need to listen to her. And like Amina is totally right that your representatives, even if you feel like you don't have any hope of getting them to vote the way you want them to, they have to at least listen to you. And so you are in a very powerful position and one that I wish your situation were way more common of someone who's like, I am engaged, I'm informed, I disagree with my representative, and I am like ready to let them know. And like, you know, the end of the question, which is like, what if they won't take your voice into consideration? It's like, well, yeah, they have someone who's like going to log down, like, what is your zip code? And like, which way do you want this person to vote so i mean you're right like maybe there are more people calling in the opposite side but there's like i don't know i think that that is a hopeful like there's there is space to at least make sure that they have to log that you dissent you know and they do i think that it's also um this is why i recommend the indivisible guide so much because it's written by people who you know who used to have the jobs of the people that you call and yell at now all the time which I want to be really clear when you call your congressman's office, like, please don't yell at anybody. Those people do not get paid enough money, even if you don't politically agree with them (laughs) for like a lot of the frustration they take, but they are, they're kind of like the front lines 
And so the reason that the guide, to me at least, was really powerful is because it really helped me understand what all of the avenues for communicating with my elected officials was. You know, it's like clearly I'm writing letters and I, you know, like I'll write letters and I'll do a phone call, but like showing up to a town hall was something that I had never considered and have now done and realized like, oh, this is how this is how I get in the face of this person that I've been trying to reach on the phone for so long. And it also like helps you recognize who all the other people are that are um, that are on your side of this issue. I'm happy. I'm happy you're in Texas. I'm sorry you feel stuck, but I'm I'm personally happy that you were there, like fighting the good fight, Texas. I know. I am so. Ugh, I am so happy. Yeah. Okay. Stuck in um, Texas. Good luck. Good luck. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com, or download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on iTunes, where we would love it if you left us a review. You can tweet at us at callyrgf or email us callyrgf at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, look it up yourself, or on Instagram at callyrgf. You can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. This would be a great way to tell us how you spent the women's strike. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. See you on the internet. See you on the internet, boo-boo.